Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. My kids can sometimes say these three words, it's so hard. It's so hard. You know, they could say that about their homework or a certain class or a certain teacher. It's so hard. Or they might say that about a chore they're supposed to do. Dad, you don't understand. It's so hard. It takes so long. Or they might say that about their music lesson and the practice they have to do for that. Or maybe about a coach that's pushing them really hard at their soccer practice. It's so hard. But I love that because... I know that when we do what's hard, when we do what's difficult, God can really bring a lot of good out of it in our souls and our character. And I think that's something that we adults can pay attention to here, especially in the season of Lent. Because in Lent, we're meant to really be focusing on those last days of Jesus's life, the last hours of his life, his passion. And we think about all that he endured. It was so hard to go through his agony in the garden, to be betrayed, to be rejected, to be mocked, to be scourged, and to be crucified. It was really hard. And yet God used this really hard thing, the suffering of his son, to bring about the salvation of the world. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives. He wants to bring about a great good, a great transformation to bring us a greater level of peace and joy and love in our lives if we're willing to do what's hard, to face the difficult. And what I want to do in this week's podcast is really zoom in on a biblical passage that the Catholic Church has drawn attention to recently in the Sunday readings. And this beautiful scene can really help us to really listen to God, to really listen to him and how he's inviting us to meet him in the difficult things that come up in life, to meet him in those challenging tasks, to do what's hard. If we really listen to those words, he spoke on a mountain some 2,000 years ago to Peter, James, and John when he said, listen to him. That's what I'm going to look at. I want to unpack the meaning of this beautiful scene known as the Transfiguration. So welcome, my friends, to this podcast called All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sree, and I want to just welcome anyone that's new if you're the first time listening, welcome. Thank you for joining us in this podcast. We look at all things Catholic, everything from spirituality, prayer, the virtues. We talk about apologetics, how to explain the Catholic faith from scripture. We look at the saints, so many things. Uh, but today we're going to talk about doing what's hard. And I had a, a wonderful weekend, though. I have to tell you about it. My my little daughter, Kiara, just turned six. We had a big birthday party and we had a bunch of soccer tournaments. It's the preseason soccer tournament weekend in the three families. We were all over Denver. Uh, but my son, Luke, he his team made it to the championship game today. Earlier today, played in the championship game. And... Um, it was hard. It was a hard game. They played a really tough team that was a couple levels up in the league. Uh, so they played like two levels or I think three levels up higher in a different league. So uh, they played a really tough team and you could tell they, they were frustrated. They, they went down uh, two goals early on in the first half and they were frustrated. They were flustered. They weren't in sync like normal. And you could tell they were getting a little discouraged but they hung in there and they kept fighting and they kept fighting and they started creating chances. And eventually they tied the game and they sent it into overtime and into penalty kicks. And we won on PKs on penalty kicks at the end. But, you know, little kids have to learn at a young age to do what's hard. But we adults 
have to learn to persevere through difficult things and to do what's difficult. And I think that's the lesson Jesus was trying to teach his apostles, Peter, James, and John, in this biblical scene known as the Transfiguration. Have you, have you ever wondered about this scene, though? I mean, what what is the meaning of this spectacular display of Christ's glory? And, you know, they see him changed and transfigured and shining white like the sun. And what is this, what is this scene all about? Well, I want to bring you into this biblical scene. I want you to understand its context. And I think we're going to, we're going to learn a lot about how Jesus is inviting us to draw closer to him this Lent. This scene always appears, you know, at a pivotal moment uh, in the in the Lenten journey because it's it's at a pivotal moment in Jesus's life. You know, uh, Matthew 16, let me give you the background. In Matthew 16, Jesus takes the 12 apostles to the northernmost point that we know of, at least from scripture. He goes up to Caesarea Philippi and that's where he asks the famous question, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asks the personal question, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter that stands, steps forward and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter's the first person to really just come right out explicitly and state, you are the Christ, meaning the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. I think many people were hoping that he was the Messiah. Uh, Certainly many of the apostles were pinning their hopes on this, but Peter was the first one to come right out and actually state it. And so now all the 12 apostles know uh, that Jesus indeed is the Messiah. He accepts that title. He says to Peter, yes, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my, my father in heaven's revealed this to you. And he, you know, he changes his name from Simon to Peter at this moment, and he gets the keys, of the kingdom and all that. So it's a great moment up there in Caesarea Philippi, way up in the north uh, in Matthew 16. What happens is if you read Matthew 16, it goes on. And as they're talking, Jesus then says, all right, now that you know, I really am the Messiah. I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to be handed over to the elders and the chief priests and I'm going to be killed. I mean, whoa, talk about a shocker. <laughs> you know, we, we just learned, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. He's the one fulfilling all prophecy. And now all of a sudden he's talking about going to Jerusalem to be killed. Wait, wait, the, the Messiah is supposed to go to Jerusalem to be crowned, not killed. <laughs> He's supposed to go to Jerusalem to establish his kingship, not face some horrific death. Well, what is Jesus talking about here? You know, again, the, the apostles are expecting Christ to go and go to Jerusalem, establish his kingdom and drive out those Romans that have been oppressing, oppressing the Jewish people. And, and yet Jesus says he's going to go to the royal city of David, to the city of the kings and be killed? It just turns the world upside down. In fact, Peter, the same Peter who just, you know, a couple minutes ago had just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This same Peter, when he hears you're going to go to Jerusalem and die, Jesus, no way. He says, God forbid that this ever happened to you. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm serious. This is what my kingship is all about. I, I, I am the true king. I am the Messiah. I am establishing this great kingdom, this great church, but it's going to be all about suffering. It's going to be about me dying for the sake of humanity. It's going to be about the cross, Peter. And, you know, he tells Peter, you know, that he, if anyone wants to follow him, he's got to take up his cross and follow. 
take up the cross. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We we talked about that that in a couple a couple episodes ago in the in the podcast here. But this is just a shocker for the apostles. Well, six days later, Matthew's gospel in chapter 17 tells us they go down to the south, they pass through Galilee, and they somewhere they, they go up a mountain, a high mountain set apart. And they go up this mountain and he takes Peter, James, and John with him. So his three closest associates. And Jesus takes them up this mountain and that's where he's going to be transfigured. That's when they're going to see this cloud descending upon Jesus. They're going to see Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. These three apostles get front row seats to getting a glimpse of Jesus's glory as they see his face shining like the sun. You know, it's reminiscent of Moses. Moses had his face shining, reflecting the glory of God at Mount Sinai. But for Jesus, he's not reflecting the glory of God. He, You're getting a glimpse of his very own divine glory kind of shining out through his humanity here. This is a very powerful moment. And what I, what I want to reflect on with you is what happens at the very end of this scene, that God the Father's voice calls from the cloud. And says to Peter, James, and John, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now, I want to put this in context for you. So in the way Matthew's gospel unfolds, we read in Matthew 16, Jesus is called the Christ by Peter, the son of the living God. And Peter, Jesus accepts that title. He accepts that title as king, as the Messiah. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. And the apostles are miffed by this. Peter can't believe it. And yet Jesus presses in and says, no, Peter, really, you and all the disciples, they need to tell you if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You've got to take up the cross that I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And and if you want to follow me, you've got to enter into this too. Those are the last words that are spoken from Jesus to these apostles. In the very next scene, God comes down from on high and you see Jesus's glory. The cloud of glory falls upon this mountain. Jesus is radiant like the sun. The apostles are in awe as they encounter the glory of God in Jesus. And then God, the father's voice says to Peter, James, and John, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. What did he just say? What did the son of God, what did Jesus just say? I have to go to Jerusalem and be killed. I am going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And if you are going to follow me, you need to do the hard. You need to do what's difficult. You have to pick up your cross. I think the listen to him is, is a challenge to those apostles to not be soft, to not think that, oh, wow, Jesus, he's the, he's the king. He's the Messiah. Awesome. We can ride his coattails into Jerusalem when he establishes his kingdom. And maybe we'll get some good positions in his administration. It's going to be great. No, no. Jesus is very clear right away. Yes, I'm the king, but my kingship is going to be about laying down my life. And I'm inviting you to do the same thing. Think about this. Why did Jesus give these three men this insight into his glory? Because these same three men are going to be pulled aside another time. Do you remember that? Do you remember when? In the Garden of Gethsemane, at the very start of Christ's passion, Jesus will pull aside Peter, James, and John, 
And Peter, James, and John, the same three who saw Christ's face shining like the sun on the Mount of Transfiguration, will now see his face sweating like drops of blood in his agony. And, and, and Christ gave them this glimpse of his glory a few weeks earlier uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration to prepare them for this moment when they watch him agonize in the garden, be betrayed, be arrested, be condemned, and be crucified. It's to prepare them so that they don't lose faith, that they remember, no, this really is the Son of God. Remember, Peter gave them what Jesus and Peter talked about way up in Caesarea Philippi. He really is the Son of God. And remember, we, we saw his glory. and <laughs> We saw his glory up on that mountain. Do you remember that? And so whatever's happening here, as hard as this is to watch or understand, we know this really is the Son of God. It was meant to encourage them through this. Well, here's the practical point I want to make for us, though, is do we listen to God when he challenges us to do what's difficult? Do we listen to him really? Or do we listen to him more when he just is encouraging us and he's helping us? And, you know, no, no, God wants us to really listen to him even when he invites us to do what's hard, to do what's difficult. I want to just give a couple examples of how we can live this out. You know, one way that we hear God speaking to us to do what's difficult isn't when we hear voices or when we're just in the chapel quietly listening to him. It just is in the events that unfold in our daily lives. You know, God reveals himself to us through those difficult things we just have to do, our, our daily responsibilities. You know, so if there's a, a kid breaking down, I, I have to drop what I'm doing and, and go take care of this child. I might rather just keep watching the soccer game or I might rather keep doing my email or reading my book or whatever it is. But if I realize, no, this child needs me. I, I need to do what's hard and just do it. That, and my responsibilities are a great way for me to see what God is asking of me at every moment. I don't need to go talk to my spiritual director, my confessor. You know, I don't need to do a nine-day novena. Should I help this baby that needs a diaper change right now? No, you just do it. <laughs> you know, so when when the demands of the moment unfold, we have to act, even when it's hard. Maybe in, in the, this is, can be very basic things like the laundry is piled up. I just need to go take care of the laundry right now, or the dishes are piled up. I just need to go take care of the dishes. Or maybe it's something at work, you know, like many times when we're in the office at work, we just, we, we tend to gravitate toward the things we like to do. Oh, I really like this kind of work, uh, or I feel more comfortable doing these kinds of projects, but I know the organization has been asking me to do this other thing, or my boss has been asking me to do this other thing. And it's hard. I'm not familiar with it. I don't know how to do it. I wonder if I'm, I'm going to succeed. There's all those things at work at, at, you know, in our hearts there at those moments. Well, what I need to do is prioritize and do what's hard first because I'll go do the things I like to do. <laughs> I naturally gravitate toward those. But in the office, I need to give my employer the best of myself. So I need to really prioritize the things that are difficult. So I go in the office and say, you know, it'd be a lot easier to check email right now. It'd be a lot easier to stop by and just go talk to this other colleague about that little project I'm so excited about. But instead, I'm going to go do the difficult thing the boss asked me to do now. So these are little ways that we can, you know, just do the difficult, pick up the cross to, to do what's hard in our lives. You know, another thing might be, um, let's say there's a conflict situation. You know, many of us don't like conflict. You know, who loves conflict? I think we just love conflict. You know, I love having conversations with that are a little, you know, having to bring up difficult things with colleagues or family members. You know, we all tend to kind of be a little, a little nervous about those to some degree, but some of us could maybe 
just avoid those things. And maybe God's asking you to have those tough conversations. Maybe it's a tough conversation, again, with somebody at work, somebody that is a coworker that you work on a team with, and there's just something that's just not functioning well, and you just need to say, hey, this isn't working. <laughs> uh, maybe it's someone you oversee, and they're always late on things, and they don't do it great, and you've been kind of covering for them, letting it slide. But for their good and for the good of the organization, you just need to have a crucial conversation with them and say, look, we need these projects in on time, you know, and we need them to be at this level. And maybe you dread those kinds of conversations, but, you know, I often find that once you have them, it's actually not never as bad as you think. You know, maybe it's a conversation you need to have with one of your children, that there's something going on with one of your kids and you're noticing that there's just something off there and you need to address it, but you're afraid. You don't know how. Maybe God's asking you this Lent to do what's difficult and just go have that conversation with your son, with your daughter. They need it. They need you to be the the mother, the father that, that you're meant to be. So that's another way that we can do what's difficult. I think the whole Christian life can be seen also as doing what's difficult. I want to share with you a quote from um, Mother Mary Francis. I've mentioned her before. Uh, I read, her, she has a wonderful book called A Time of Renewal. It's daily reflections for the Lenten season. I'm not reading it this year. I read this one last year. I'm reading reflections from Newman this year uh, from The Tears of Christ. But uh, this this really, this book here by Mother Mary Francis, she's the was the superior for the Poor Clares down in Roswell, New Mexico. She's written many works, but I really love this one. But she points out in one of her reflections about how many times we, we try to soften our Christian life and we tell God, it's so hard. <laughs> and, or we tell ourselves, it's so hard. I don't need to do that. I don't have to work that hard at the Christian life. You know, God's merciful and I'm better than most people. So, you know, I don't have to do what's really hard. And she, she draws this out. She says, sometimes, sometimes a little child will say, it's so hard to be good. And so we have to practice. It is hard to become a concert pianist. It's hard to become an expert surgeon. It's hard to become an outstanding ballerina. We have to practice and practice and practice. Isn't that true? Like if you want to be really good at something, you have to practice really hard. You know, I got one of, one of my kids is, is we have, you know, we're a big soccer family, but one of my kids is really, really good. And he just, he's, he's got this personality of just like, he wants to go after something. He's just going to work at it. And so he wanted to, one summer, this is a, a year or two ago, wanted to figure out like juggling like 3,000 times, not just juggling the soccer ball. You know, it's when the, when the soccer players just like they're kicking the ball up and up and they keep like, you know, bouncing it off their knee or their feet and they just keep juggling it and the ball can never touch the ground. They have to touch it, you know, 10 times or 20 times or 50 times or 100 times, you know, so... Most kids, you know, probably get to, you know, they might get to 50, 100 or so. Well, he wanted to do 3,000. So he was crazy. And he just went out and he's practicing and practicing and practicing. And and then he just gets it and he gets really good at juggling now. And his touch on the ball is outstanding. Um, but that's true for sports. It's true for being a surgeon. It's true for musicians, being a, a pianist or being a ballerina, as, as uh, Mother Mary Francis says. It requires a lot of practice. But then she goes on and makes this point. If this is true of the worldly arts, it is more true of the art of spiritual fidelity. Like being faithful to Jesus, that's an art. That just doesn't happen. It just, oh, I'll just be faithful, you know, and, and I just think it's just going to happen automatically. No, you have to work at it. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of effort, and you, you fall, you make mistakes, and then you, you, you try again. You try to, you know, 
do the Christian life and then the ball drops on the ground, you pick up and you start over. Okay, let's go. One, two, three, we try again. So she says, Mother Mary Francis, we have to practice. And if this is true of the worldly arts, it is more true of the art of spiritual fidelity. Sometimes in our slothfulness or our fear, we are doing the equivalent of saying to God, it's so hard. I think God says to us, you don't practice enough. <laughs> that that's what that's what Mother Mary Francis says. Like when we kind of come to God, oh, it's so hard. Oh Lord, I, it's hard to give up this thing for these all these days of Lent, or it's hard to be faithful to prayer every day. I I can't get it in every day. I try, but I don't get it in every day. It's just so hard. It's hard to grow in this virtue. Well, when we do that, she's saying God is probably saying to us, "You're just not practicing enough." <laughs> well. There may be many reasons why we fall and stumble, but let's at least take that to heart. Let's take Mother Mary Francis's challenge to heart. Are we not practicing enough? Are we not trying enough? Uh, This Lent is a wonderful opportunity to try more, to give more, to practice harder. So my friends, I hope this podcast was inspiring you in some way to, to meet Jesus in the difficult things that unfold in daily life where he's calling us to love him and to serve him and our neighbor more. Uh, so I hope there's something here for you this Lent. Please, let's pray for each other. Let's pray for each other this Lent as we carry our crosses and offer our, our prayers and sacrifices for our Lord Jesus. And as always, you can reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And again, if you're new to the show, uh, check out the show notes that we offer through my good friends at Ascension Press. They put those together for us for free. You can subscribe to those at ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. Again, ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. Thanks so much for listening and may God bless you.